you are the first one who's responded with, hey, this terrible thing happened and it led to my PhD. (laughs) (laughs) Be courageous. Everybody's experienced failure, right? So that's okay. And the second part that we had touched on before was ownership, right? own that and it's okay like nobody is perfect and and showing that human side of things show as a leader showing that you have failed or showing that ownership and how you you know pivoted or learned or something positive from the experience actually does go a long way as a leader hey there this is ben thanks for tuning in to lead the team before we jump in we just broke into the top three percent of all podcasts globally And that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back. Boy, do I have a treat for you today. I've got Jeremy Mandarin, who's the Chief Learning Officer at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. And he just happens to be Director of learning innovation over at the KPMG Business School. And he's held several other leadership positions at KPMG and the U.S. Department of Defense, ADP, Johnson & Johnson, all names that you know. And by the way, he's also an adjunct professor and guest lecturer at Rutgers. And he was just awarded his doctoral degree from Boise State University in Educational Ooh. Technology. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ben. I am very <laughs> excited to speak with you today. Ooh, well, y'all, if you're listening, you're not going to be able to see what I'm saying, but I'll describe <laughs> it. Jeremy gets on here and I'm thinking, okay, Federal Reserve guy, he's going to have a coat and tie on and be like in some kind of blank looking room. Instead, he's in a sweet looking office in a polo shirt with guitars and framed comic books <laughs> on the wall. Yes, Jeremy, sir. tell us what is going on in your office here. So it it's extremely important to bring your authentic self to work, right? Ooh. And and we yeah. all kind of have a remote posture now in some form or another, uh, given recent events. So this is very much my authentic self, and I encourage others to do it. I was an avid comic collector from, you know, way back in the day. I was a musician in my past life, you know, did some touring and 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 released some some albums Ooh. and stuff. And baseball, I played baseball for, you know, like 30 years up until my my up until my mid thirties, late thirties, actually. So, and, and I have my dog, my dog hangs out with me in my office oh, pretty much every day. I'm okay, working. I'm sorry. What, <laughs> I see your dog in the corner now on the sofa. What's your dog's name? That's Strider based off right. Lord of the Rings. Um, wow. but he will not move or make a sound. I promise you. <laughs> well, that would be cool if he did. Well, what, what kind of dog is Strider? He's a mutt. He's like a lab. Yeah. He's a rescue pup. He's he's a good boy. Oh, he just kind of yeah. hangs out. And and when I take a break in readings um, or things get a little stressful, I can go I can go pet the puppy and <laughs> everything's good again. You know, could be a therapy dog in the office, yes. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> all right. So listeners know, and you may you may not be know this, but I'm a huge music fan and a live music fan. What is the what is? Tell me a little bit. Give us a little bit of background. Ooh. Band music touring. Yeah. What the what's the scoop on your music career? I was a singer and played guitar for many, many years. Um, I 
was in a lot of bands. I released an album back in 2003, which was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> and then I learned a ton from that. So I'm a big oh. fan of experiential learning and we'll get to that for leadership yeah. and, and everything else. And then I released a second album, which I, I kind of knew a little bit more what I was doing. Um, and I worked with some good producers and other folks and, and it actually was kind of cool. Like I, <laughs> I had some music placed in, um, some TV shows, some video games, you know, stuff like that. So it actually had a what, little, what's I the mean, band? Not, Oh, no, it's just my own personal. Okay. It's just Jeremy, yeah. Jeremy Mandarin. But it was kind of cool because yeah. like my kids now, they're older. There was there. One of my songs was in Rock Band, the, the video game. Right. It was on the Rock Band site. And Get out. wow. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. And, and there's people on YouTube kind of playing my song. It's small. It's like a it's a small, small thing. It's not a big thing. It's very limited views and, and plays. But that's it's cool because cool my kids look at it and they're like, wait, that's you singing. But that's someone playing because the, they're little and they they don't really get it. So they they think it's this really big deal. It's really not at all. It's really, you know, it's just it's very big nice, in their but, world, though. That's what matters. For them and it was kind of cool. I was like, all right, I'm rock star dad for a little while until they yeah. understand okay. it. And then they're okay. like, oh, who cares? You know? <laughs> so did you did you get into music as a child? Uh, yeah, I sang since I was a little kid and, you know, chorus and stuff at school. And then, uh, mm -hmm. come like high school, I started in like little bands and playing out and stuff like that, like local rock, you know, like, uh, clubs around the, I grew up down the Jersey shore. So. Oh, wow. Hook area. Yeah. You and so Bruce Springsteen. Uh, there was actually yeah. a lot of cool bands down there. Like Bon Jovi came out of my yeah. area and, and Skid Row came out of my area and a lot of other different bands from the eighties. So yeah. Wow. Well, it's pretty cool. Thinking about that, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I, I feel like in my sensibility on this is, so you like to perform, obviously. I like, like to create music, but but perform and also your chief learning officer. So there's probably in training, there there is a connection of being on stage, being in front of people, you're comfortable <laughs> and enjoy it, right? Yeah. Um, so the creative part of the process was actually the best part for me. Um, I really liked being in the mm. studio. I really liked the writing, the composition aspect of it. Okay. Uh, and, and I was never great at it, but it was something I really enjoyed diving into. You know, when you get into something, Ben, and you just lose track of time, right? Like yeah. you look up in five hours Flow. of God. Yeah. Yes. So that's yeah. what I loved about it. Um, the mm. performing out was fun and it was very rewarding. And the, what it did teach me more about anything about my career and work was that, <clears throat> You cannot like you need to be prepared. You can't walk up there and mm. wing it. You know, you have to have that. A, you have to be authentic. You have to really love what you're doing and and you have to believe in what you're performing. But you you really have to prepare. Um, and and without that, it's gonna fall flat. And and more than that, people are gonna recognize that you didn't take it seriously or prepare and things mm. like that. And I kind of carry that forward that. Mm. I'm very comfortable presenting up. I'm very comfortable presenting out and facilitating and, and leading like large scale discussions and things like that. But you have to prepare for them. Otherwise, that's when the nerves yeah. start. To, come in. to make it look improvised and so special, you have to prepare an awful lot. <laughs> you really have realize. to know what you're doing. Yeah. You yeah. have to get to a very, very significant level of expertise in order to be able to improvise and still be good. Yeah. And, and the same with learning and training. Yeah. I mean, <clears> like you're drawing a nice line because you're doing that music. You've done that throughout your career and now, you know, you're doing it from bigger, bigger people learning and, and, and creating these training programs uh, that, that sonic they're just being really effective. So that's, that's cool. I, I've got one more question on the room cool. here though, because these comic books are really interesting to me. So what is your, I'm assuming those are superhero related. Comic they are books, all right? Marvel comics. Yeah. From the 60s, 70s and okay. 80s. What is your favorite? And then which character 
do you feel like you most closely resemble? I was always a big fan of Spider-Man. Okay. My yep. favorite comic on the wall, though, is probably Secret Wars number eight, which is the first time you ever see the black costume for Spider-Man. It was like oh. way back in the day. Uh, it's one of my my treasured comics because it, it just launched this whole new story arc and everything. Um, but I really liked Spider-Man because hmm. I, I related to him. He was very he was a very average kid. He was kind of nerdy. You know, he was into science and 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 was like uh he was kind of a like a wallflower and then he got these powers but he he remained humble and he hid his insecurities through humor and he hid those insecurities mm. well when he was con when he was battling these crazy you know mm -hmm. fears. I, and i found there was identification there i've used sarcasm and humor my whole life to you know try and figure my own way out when i had insecurities or nervousness and i think a lot of people do that and i i i credit a lot of the writing here i mean comics used to get a bad rap they really don't now thanks mm -hmm. to a lot of the marvel uh movies but you know there was a lot of identification for a young kid growing up and treating those and and seeing like oh spider-man's insecurities using this humor to deflect how nervous he is mm -hmm. about what he's doing right now you know that made a lot of sense to me yeah it's so cool how inspiration can mold us in so many cool ways when we're a kid it also plugs us into uh, our future. And I, I go back to leadership training and a lot of the programs you know, that, that you've done with KPMG and the Federal Reserve, like you're, you're helping people develop their own super skills, right? Their own super, <laughs> superpower, yeah. so to speak. And so there's, yeah. Yeah, there's possibly a thread in there somewhere, uh, <laughs> you know, of how this kind of stuff emerges. And so anyway, I love hearing about people's childhood with that. So fast forward, life goes on, you know, you become a superhero and rock star. Huh. And then you're, you know, you're going in, uh, into the workforce here. What in the world does a chief learning officer do for the federal reserve? Cause people think federal reserve, New York, they're thinking like interest rates, they're thinking uh, yeah, media, yeah. wall street journal, yeah. and you yeah. have a niche as the chief learning officer there. So what's that all about? So first, let me, let me tee it up by saying, Anything I express, the opinions I express are my own. They do not necessarily represent the Federal Reserve. Okay, I do have right, to say right, that. I want to make sure that that's clear. Yeah. Um, but what my role at the Federal Reserve, and, and honestly, any chief learning officer, any learning department really does is align the strategy of the organization to the development of the people there. Mm, so, mm -hmm. you know, Every organization has a strategy, be it a strategy for growth, a strategy for their people, a strategy for whatever it may be. But the need, the right skill set and the development mindset and the ability to develop those workers, as well as upskill those that are coming in, is integral to any strategy. And that's really mm -hmm. where my role kind of sits, is understanding and, and having a seat at the table of getting that that strategy for mm -hmm. you know, the organization. Mm -hmm and aligning the learning and the development of our folks to that strategy. Okay. Well, what if somebody comes in your office and like, Jeremy, we're going to cut our entire training program, <clears throat> except for three things. We're going to be, you can only have three trainings. Okay. What would they be off the cuff? And I realize you probably would like do research and all that stuff normally, but just like they say, what, and so, it doesn't, it's, and it's not specifically necessarily your, Federal Reserve, but like, say you're at a, like a company, yep, yep. Newfield company, like what, yep. or Greenfield company, what, what would it be? The, uh, one would be leadership development um, because it touches everything. 
Uh, you can't, you really have to have strong leadership development for a variety of reasons, uh, for current roles, for current success, for, you know, the engagement of your, the people in your organization, but also for succession planning, you know, for the mm-hmm. strategy and growth of the future of that organization. So right. leadership development can't go anywhere, right? That has okay. to stay. And double click on that. If they said, okay, you can have leadership development, but you can only have one, one, <laughs> one module in your leadership training. Now I know this is like. Um, this so I'd say, okay, that's not possible, but <laughs> I'll play along with your hypothetical. Oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. No it. problem. Um, I would, I would, I would probably say, and, and I, I, I'm struggling to say it because there's so many to choose from that are so yeah. vitally important, but emotional intelligence and awareness is probably my key trait for any leader. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult to be an authentic leader without that understanding and that empathy of the situation you're in and the situation that your people are in. I think that Mm. is, it's so key. Um, And it's hard. That's a hard one to train. It's kind of amorphous. It's not like a a hard and fast skill. You know what I mean? Like it takes practice and it takes self-realization and actualization to get there. Uh, and that can be a challenge. That's really hard to do. Wow. I love how you threw that out there. I don't think anybody listening to this was, would have guessed it, but yet <laughs> it is, it, it is so important. And you're right. Like if you, because we, things about emotions in the workplace is we're always having them. The, the workplace is full of them yet. It's always, almost always ignored. And if the leader isn't leading in that space, they never yeah. get recognized. And yet it's bringing down your productivity. You're driving people out of the company. It's killing your uh, engagement. And uh, that self-awareness of your own emotional state and being able to be aware and help with your team. I think that's, that's a cool one. That That's a little bit of a uh, left turn for leaders to think, but I, 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 I would not have guessed that, but I think that that's a really cool one to, to think about there. And I can even just a little bit of elaboration is that, you know, at, at this level and, and even most levels across any organization, People Mm -hmm. already SMEs, they're already, they already know the nuts and bolts of their roles, right? The training on that is more about keeping current or maybe innovation or, you know, looking towards what's next in that field. But really the leading of people is a, is a people skill. It it Mm. is, you know, that's why I put such value and weight on it because it's far more important to understand where folks are coming from and understand perspective to be a good leader. That's really key. What's the biggest mistake? that you're seeing leaders make these days with their leadership training and how they approach the whole thing? Uh, that's a good one. Um, there's, there's different schools of thought and I, I apologize if it doesn't directly answer your question, but there, there are some leadership trainings that are really long tail. They're cohort based. They can go nine or 10 months. They, you know, mm-hmm. And they're, they're good. They have value. And then there's other leadership trainings that are like one week intensive going to, you know, we're going to drop you off, you know, in the metaphorical jungle and you're going to just survive for a week with your cohort and, and you're going to get all these great skills and things like that. Uh And neither one is necessarily wrong. Um, but I feel like as the, you know, the pace of, of change is, you know, rapidly increasing, we know that the need to revamp and redevelop skills is you know, always ramping up, you know, it's, it's so much different today than it was like even, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago, you know, the trait is, is really just, you have to be 
open to change. You have to be flexible. That's a key part or key component of learning. So regardless of the type of training you're doing, that really long tail cohort or that Mm -hmm. really invasive thing, it's really far more about the topics you're getting in the training. Are they aligning to the needs of the organization, but are they also creating good, thoughtful leaders? And secondly, is there an opportunity to practice it after the learning event? And that's a key focus of that is you have to be able to put things into practice. And I was reading your posts, Ben. So I did my research. (laughs) Well, thank you for checking it out. (laughs) Absolutely. And you know, you, you had a really good post about not only the ROI of training, but you know, it has to, someone had commented on what you stated about like, you know, I love, I go into this leadership or this learning event. It's fantastic. And I love it. And I get a good laugh out of it and it makes a memory, but I'm back to my old ways, you know, like a week, a month, two mm-hmm. months later, because there's no opportunity to reinforce that learning and practice it. Right. And, and, and that's where the change actually comes from. It's not from the learning event. It's what you do to support the learning afterwards. I'm so glad you said that. And thank you for mentioning uh, that article or, or a video there. Uh, nice little yeah. plug, check it out. Uh, but, but I, it's, it's, there's this realization of, only so much learning happens in the classroom, in person or virtual or with your cohort. You've got to have the, the courage as a leader and the supportive culture and environment and really the expectation, hey, what we're going to train you on, you're going to go apply it pretty much immediately. And if you can't make that connection immediately, you need to raise your hand and say, hey, I don't get how we're going to apply this to our work day. Because if you're not yeah. applying it, you're not going to remember the thing. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really, really cool point. Um, so let's, so thanks for sharing some cool ideas on that. I realize I kind of put you on the spot, but some really cool ideas. So kind of building on that, what's the one trait you wish you could instill on every employee and why do you think it's so important? Uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to double that. I'm going to say there's, there's, there's two. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the first one, and it's something that we we do at the bank and I, I credit our leadership for really instilling this, which is assuming positive intent. Mm. So if you can go into any discussion, any meeting, any project with that mindset that you're assuming positive intent, even if, and, and we all know, you know, things can get heated or there can be challenges, there can be roadblocks, there can, you know, all sorts of stressors on, on any number of, any number of ways. Um, but if you're assuming positive intent, people are doing their best. They're trying They're they, everybody is driving towards a common goal. It actually mm. does help alleviate some of that stress. So I think that mm. that's a key one. And the second thing I'd say is, is ownership, just taking ownership of your role and your responsibilities, clarifying that ownership, making sure you are clear on that. And the rest of the team or your group is clear on that and then really owning it and, and, and owning mistakes. I think to me, I'm, I don't get upset at, failure. I don't, I don't get upset when, when, you know, something blows up, especially if someone owns it and has learned from it, because there's mm-hmm. a lot of value in that. Um, a, a mm-hmm. really a good story. Uh, I had a, someone on my team, you know, a while ago, there was, they were, they were going on vacation and they were, they were trying to get a bunch of stuff done. And to me, that's a positive intent. They were really trying to set up stuff before they left because yeah. they, they had ownership of these things. And I was like, that is great. But the person owned it and it made me feel like even though this is going to cause me a little bit of a headache over the weekend and, and I'll deal with it next week and that's fine. But the person owned it. They 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 raised their hands and said, This is my fault. I did this. I'm sorry. And it was so easy for me to be like, 
you, you're good. You learn. We're, we're in a great place. Go on vacation. I've got this. Don't even think about it. And we'll debrief when you come back. And I really want you to enjoy your PTO. And it, it was such a mm. great experience because the person felt was very nervous and very upset by the error, but owned it immediately. And it allowed us to have a really good dialogue about that as a learning point. And it allowed us to clear the air immediately and, and the person could enjoy their vacation. And I mm-hmm. was able to remedy the situation. It was, it was perfectly fine, but it was a really good example of, I assumed positive intent from this person. I knew what they were trying to accomplish. It was an honest mistake and they owned it immediately. It worked. It, it was just good. And it was such a good learning event for everybody. Wow. Yeah. Those are, that makes a lot of a sense that just, those are just basic human principles too. Okay. Like you want to instill it in your employees, but man, if we all assumed positive intent when we get cut off when we're driving down the interstate, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. or you know, uh, or when it comes, uh, you know, I think about that. That that completely changed. In fact, that happened the other day uh, with my uh, we're, uh, my daughter and I were in the car, and she's like, "Daddy, you should honk." And I was like, "I was like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to start anything," but. But I was like, yeah, you know, I probably should honk, but what's that going to accomplish, right? It's not going to accomplish much. And maybe they just miss me. And the other thing is, I think about ownership. And as leaders, one of the best ways to to really demonstrate that is to do it ourselves. And I think about that employee that you had that, that owned up to the mistake immediately. Um, what a great example that you're setting for the rest of the group that it's okay to make a mistake and this is what you do when that happens and it's one thing to actually tell people that but to be able to tell that that story like you just did is such a wonderful illustration about how you want your team to operate mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. yep great great learning there okay so we often work with leaders around the catastrophic cost of turnover we're sort of on this back part of the pandemic, at least we hope. And the great resignation has happened, sort of not happened, depending on the company industry. Uh, but anyway, turnovers are out there. And uh, it adds up for companies. We often find that can, it can cost up to $235,000 per employee per year in turnover. Do you think co- turnover cost is something that, that leaders should be thinking about? Yes. I do. Um, look, you have to, what gets measured gets done, right? Like that's the very mm-hmm. old adage. So yeah. um, you have to measure that and you have to find ways to combat it because it's not the cost, what you're, that number that you're talking about is not salary expense. That is resource time expense, right? Yeah. That is, yeah. that is yeah. my time to train up someone new. That is my, that is the organization's time to have to go through a billion processes, not only to onboard new folks, but to offboard people who are leaving. It's, there's so much involved in that, that it does need to be measured and it, it, it does need to be addressed. Um, I think there's also a lot of research around, and I forget the organization who did it, so apologies for that, around the value the value in keeping folks and and yeah. there's more return on investment in upskilling them uh and, yeah. and and reskilling them rather than losing them and having to onboard new folks and and backfill and then retrain or up you know upskill new folks is just it it's very valuable to investigate that to measure that and then to combat that for an organization absolutely want to boost your productivity and decision making get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox a great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to binfanning.com slash insight.
What's your most colorful story of when someone quit or was fired without naming names, of course? No names, uh, not at this organization, but in my past, um, <laughs> I, I inherited a team and there was such a, there was such a bad culture within the team from the previous manager that the person, you know, the phrase quit and stay. That is essentially, <laughs> yes, I do. Right. I've yeah. used that so an awful lot. Yes, that is essentially yeah. what happened. It's the worst thing, but it oh, got that's frustrating. really contentious. And I had like nothing to do with this. I, I literally walked into this situation. Um, but the the other the previous leader was still in the organization. Yeah. And, and, and as leaders, we don't always get to choose our team. No, we have to don't. do the best of what we have. Yeah, exactly. And I did not Common. get the opportunity to choose this, and it, it was kind of thrust upon me. And it it was a lot of HR actions, and it was a lot of documentation, and it was a lot oh. of you know, and and the person wound up leaving. They, you know, it, we worked it out, but it was, I mean, not not only the the stress, the emotional stress and anxiety that that caused, but just the time and the resources of dealing with all of this took away from so much actual work and creativity and team dynamics and building and things like that. It was very, um, so disruptive for a, a, actually yep. an extended period of time because these things don't resolve themselves mm. in a week or two weeks, right? They take a while. Uh, you lose productivity from the resource. You lose your own productivity. You're focusing 80% of your time, you know, the 80, 20 rule, right? 80% of your time goes to 20% or the, the problem. Yeah. So that's where all of my time was spent very early on, instead of building up this team yeah. dynamic and really establishing myself as a, as a manager there, that's where it was spent. So that yeah, was it sounds really like a huge, the word that comes to mind is you're coming in energetic, ready to go. And you're just distracted from the bigger vision you'd like to work towards because you're trying to clean up a lot yep. of the negative team dynamics that existed before. 100%. I mean, someone's got to do it. <laughs> it just established a negative impact to what I was trying to do coming in the door. You know, like mm -hmm. that was the mm -hmm. first team experience and it was a, it was very yeah. negative. So it took a little while to recover from that. Um, so what's your advice to other leaders? I'm sure there's some people listening now and they're like, yeah, yes. I think this is a, this is a potential training module. Like for leaders that come in, and, you know, you, uh, the way I describe it sometimes is when you sit down at the poker table, you have to play the hand that you're dealt Yeah. no matter what in the situation. You're just there. Uh, what's your advice to leaders who come in new to a role and it's just a much more difficult situation from the team or the positioning of the team than what they'd expected? So training new leaders is, it's a, it's, it's like an honor. It's a privilege. It's something that is always mm. well received you know when when someone gets tapped on the shoulder to start building up their leadership skills and things like that it it you know it it's almost like you're instilling confidence in them immediately mm. because you're saying we we see something in you we believe you could excel in this role or we believe you could handle folks and that should not be taken lightly from an organizational perspective and personally from my perspective i think that that's a key mm -hmm. component of what i do and i think you know that what a new leader needs to do is really be an active listener to the team and understand it. There's actually a really good, there's a good book by, I don't know if you're familiar with Kim Scott. Uh, it's radical candor. Yeah. We, uh, so, she's been on the oh. show before. Yeah. Oh, you're you're so in good company. <laughs> Cause I didn't know that, but yeah, we actually had her on and interviewed her on her newer book versus hmm. the, the second one. And I can't remember the name of it right now. Extreme. Anyway, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. So, but yeah, there's a good, there's a, there's a good framework in there and I, I'm not 
uh, you know, I'm not well, well versed in it, but I've read it and it, and it, what stuck with me is that you, you want to find the balance between uh, being the too empathetic and the friend and, and, you know, there's a mm-hmm. zone in there that, and you don't want to be uncaring and obnoxious and just like, I don't care. It's work, get it done. You have to find that, that middle ground. And that's, some people are better at it than others, but you can definitely work towards that. And that's a, that's a hard part. You you have to care, but you also have to address and challenge. And that's the the zone. That's what I like to, to talk about from a new leader's perspective. Like you really have to find that comfort zone between the two. Find that comfort zone. And I love what you said first about listening, listening yes. first, because a lot of times people, and I was the same way when I got my first leadership role at work, I really felt like I've been tapped because I was just so awesome. And I had all this knowledge and I was there to really tell people what to do. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. which was not well received in any group. And I think flipping on its head, no, if someone had said, Ben, you know, you're, you're there to really listen to your team, listen to your external and internal customers, then craft a vision and put things in motion versus get there and start telling people what to do. And I well, love that fact that you said, well, listen. Yeah. first love uh, that, that is yeah 100 really cool so, so so when's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career uh, and how did it lead to your success or personal growth on down the road so i'll get to the success part and, and back into it um so i recently <laughs> oh <Uh-oh>. <laughs> no it, it it's it's a fun it, it really did have an impact the failure had a massive impact on my life and i I always appreciate the ability, the fact that I was put in a position to fail because that actually is, that's, that's not a bad thing. Um, so I recently defended my dissertation on uh, digital business simulations and, and their use in uh, corporate environments. Right. So it, okay. it's very corporate, you know, focus it's focused on, on financial services actually. And <laughs> A failure I had years ago in developing, designing, developing, and implementing a business simulation at an organization, and it—I mean, failure, right? Like dollars and and learning experience and like everything, like just failure. Um, it it really led me to think, like, wow, I I really need to do a post mortem on what went wrong here. Hmm. Cause I, I don't want anyone else to go through this, honestly, because it was a lot. Like it was very stressful. And so, it, it, so, it, so you went all in on a digital simulation, which is kind of like a uh like a learning, a sample learning environment for leaders yeah, to, to sort of learn. It's like the NBA case study type. It, it was more, it was it was really more than that. It was like it, it was a digital platform, but it had collaborative yeah. team-based events as mm-hmm. well as asynchronous solo events, and it had like gamification and it had like all of this stuff and and it it started out again positive intent right start out with the best intent mm-hmm. and we wanted to make this amazing thing and 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 we like boiled the ocean right um and it just it just failed like oh. massively failed it was just so not not well y- received y'all should see the pain right now <laughs> on jeremy's face this, but, and that's <laughs> what this felt like he's reliving it now you don't have to cry <laughs> though you don't have to cry on the show, but you understand well, if you want to. And I mean, I, well, the, the it's happy tears now because I really had mm. to reflect and I was really like, wow, man, there's so many lessons learned from this. Like so mm. many lessons learned. I was like, I could write a book about how this experience. And then I thought I was like, man, I should really investigate this and I should really do some research on it. And it led me 
to engaging on my a, a doctoral degree. Like it led me down this path in educational technology. And I was like, all right, you know what? I've got some real world experience. I've got some lived experience. Let me do a qualitative study on this. And I, I did, I applied that experience to my research and I reached out and I, I really wanted to find out how do you align organizational decisions to a learning solution like a business sim? And then what are the, the impacts or what was, what was the learner experience like for different experiences in financial service environments and in corporate learning? And it, I, I, you know, it turned into a really good piece of work and I got a ton of best practices and critical success factors out of the research that is, you know, will be published mm-hmm. in, in the future. And it, it was like, yeah, it was a horrible experience at the time, but it actually led to something really good. And I'm hopeful that when these things are published, that if people are researching before they jump into a project like that, it might help them in some small way, provide a little guidance, provide some checkpoints, provide some critical success factors for them to go back on and say, oh, we, you know, we need to do that because I'm seeing some of the research said that this was like a key factor in success for this. I've asked that question an awful lot and I get some cool responses, but you are the first one who's responded with, hey, this terrible thing happened and it led to my PhD. <laughs> <laughs> congratulations that is a huge (laughs) success and growth that comes out of that whereas try i can just see so many leaders and they have a big failure want to distance themselves so much from that they just want to block it out and try to just go and you said wait a minute i'm gonna get curious about that i'm gonna i'm gonna (laughs) go deep and i want to think about all the other times is happening in the industry and I'm going to write a dissertation about it. And now I guess I should have, intro- should I have introduced you as Dr. Jeremy. You, you can, you do not have to. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was cool. I'm, I'm not going to lie. The first time my, my committee said that I was like, whoa, that just hit me. Like that was a five-year journey that just kind of culminated right there, you wow. know? Uh, but now it's back to normal. So, <laughs> well, I, I, I think a couple of things here that are coming up for me, I think are so cool. One is of course, the growth that you had to, go through from that event is very spider-man uh to have you know (laughs) know, to suffer and to have that but be able to get a little distance reflect and then create something so positive out of it but also i wonder what it would be like if all leaders started thinking about like today people listening like wait a minute maybe there's a failure that you've had in your career that you just don't talk about too much but that might be you know taking some time to unwind that a little bit could be a great learning tool to share with your team to help them not make the same mistakes that you had. I think so many leaders, especially newer or rising leaders, they're not really comfortable sharing that because they feel like it's going to be looked so down upon. They want to have this image of sort of this pristine, crispy, fresh, perfect, perfect leader. And the key to such growth like Jeremy's showing is, I mean, you have to go get your PhD, but feel free if you want to, but you can <laughs> use it to really uh, help others. Uh, uh, how's that sound? So Ben, you you said so much right there that I, I really want to make sure we reiterate a couple of things. One is be courageous. Everybody's experienced failure, right? So that's okay. And the second part that we had touched on before was ownership, right? Mm. Own that. And it's okay. Like nobody is perfect. And, and showing that human side of things show, as a leader Showing that you have failed or showing that ownership and how you, you know, pivoted or learned or something positive from the experience actually does go a long way as a leader to, mm. to establishing psychological safety within the team. 
so people feel like they can fail, like they're they're safe to experiment and explore and and fail. And and as long as they are putting in the work and they're owning that and they have that positive intent, that's okay. So I think that is, you know, humanizing that. And you're so right. So many leaders feel that they have to be perfect, that they have to have this facade of invulnerability or or just, you know, they have all the answers. And that's not really what it, it should be about. Mm. Cool. That <laughs> I got a couple more questions, but that that would be if I didn't want to ask these other questions, that would be a good place to sort of mic drop on the interview. <laughs> but I gotta know what books, podcasts, or music do you recommend to someone already in the C-suite or on a mission to get there? Um, so there's a there's a couple. I'm a, actually um I don't I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's pretty active on LinkedIn and I've seen him speak a few times. I I I'd call him an acquaintance. Um mm-hmm. uh Dr. Fry uh, JP Palu Fry does a lot of really good talks and has some some very good um work on trust in the workplace. Okay. And I think that is key. Um I look at trust as a symptom uh if there are trust issues in the workplace, not as something to address directly, but as a symptom of a cultural issue or you know, a dynamic issue, but the work that, he, that he's done and, and, uh, his, you know, when he speaks, it's fantastic, fantastic speaker. Um, I, I really enjoyed him. I've enjoyed speaking with him in the past. I think his, his stuff has been great. Okay. I think we'll radical that in the show notes for people to check out. Yeah, it's really, he's really great. Um, he's, he's excellent. He's very active on LinkedIn. He's got lots of articles and videos, things you can check out. Uh, he's very focused on leadership development and, and, you know, establishing trust in an organization, things like that. Uh, I did like Kim Scott's work. I thought that was good. I did read a book recently on, on uh, positivity ratio and bringing positivity to work and how that impacts uh, a team. And it impacts you personally from a productivity perspective, as well as just a, you know, um, a, a leadership perspective. Um, I can, mm-hmm. I can look that up and, and send that to you. I thought okay. that was All right, really we'll good. put that in there. What's a uh, what's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that listeners listeners could go out and purchase other than a guitar, of course. Um, you know, everybody's already got it. it. You know, your smartphone can really help you become far more efficient and productive, but also limit your your day if you use it correctly. Like like any platform we we build in for HR purposes or for learning purposes or anything else, like any other tool it really depends on how you use it. So, mm-hmm. you know, my smartphone, it can be a, a rabbit hole, right? Which is a real big negative. Yep. It gets yep. sucked into it and it can, it can start invading your personal time and private time and things like that. But it can also be really powerful depending on how you apply it. And for me, it helps keep me very organized and focused. It helps me, uh, you know, be productive, but also do other things. But it, it really, you have to limit it. You have to really understand the limitations of it and you have to put the the guardrails on it so it's not actually this all-encompassing and ever-present you know device in your life you know what i mean so you know establishing proper boundaries around those devices mm-hmm. in your work time is actually a really key component of that for any platform or tool and i think the smartphone is amazing for me i love it that i can pick up my kids at softball or, or baseball i can i can run around but i still have that connectivity if my team needs me i can be there but I also have to put limits on that and put it down. What's your favorite app? Oh boy. Um, Could be personal or professional, either app? one. App. Yeesh. Um, I'm a big gamer. <laughs> so nice. Okay. Honestly, my favorite app is is not an app at all. My my son and I have been like really diving in on our Switch. So he's little, oh. but like 
been playing Zelda a lot because there's lots of puzzles and, and logic and, and things to figure out. So he and I yeah. have been doing that a lot. So Zelda, is it, is it like the throwback Zelda or it's like... No, a, no, it's really it's, like it's, it's open world expansive and, and really oh, okay. just fun and tons of puzzles and, and things to figure out and physics and stuff like that. And he's been just diving into it and I've been... I I played it and I solved it in the past, but I've been reliving it through his eyes and it's been so much fun. We've had oh. the best time this summer. Yeah, it's so great to leverage technology in that way because they're they're growing up in a different world than than we did. Very technology is a part of their world. And it's so great to be able to enjoy it together in a fun way. Yep. So, absolutely. So our Jeremy, great job today. Fun on the interview. What's your parting thought for our listeners? Um wow. <laughs> parting thought for the listeners. I, I, you know, the, the first thing is that, um, you really do, if you can change the mindset about positive intent and you can really own what you're doing and it will have a massive impact on your personal development, your career, as well as the team that you are mm-hmm. leading. Uh, I think that is, that is key. And I'd say also don't stop pushing yourself and challenging yourself to continue learn. Like in my field, continuous learning is literally what I, that's my bread and butter. <laughs> You're all in. <laughs> that is what I do. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'd encourage everyone to keep being inquisitive and keep developing yourself and, and, and don't wait for it to be pushed out to you. Go and explore. Mm, love it. Jeremy, good job today. Thanks for coming on the show. Ben, thank you so much for having me. This is a sincere pleasure for me and I cannot wait to, you know, share this out if you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting do this before you do anything else head over to benfanning.com quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book the quit alternative the blueprint for creating the job you love without quitting you'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision go to benfanning.com quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.